Donald Trump and his sons have been found liable for fraud and the Trump organization lost its business license in New York. Trump seems pretty upset about this one. Joe Biden makes history on the UAW picket line. We think that's a big deal. Meanwhile, Josh Hawley went there too, not to make history, but to make pretend. This is an evil strategy by the Republicans to go after our voters and we need to take it seriously. Senator Menendez is in a lot of trouble. The left is approaching it responsibly. Right-wingers in your life are going to bring this up. We're here to help. We're still headed for a government shutdown, and it's still a big honking deal. The bad guys finally lost a redistricting case, and in our segment, Something Political That Doesn't Seem Political, we'll talk about the right-wing hate coming from Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Holy content, Batman. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you, the 54% of the country that votes for progress in every election, convince your conservative friends and family members to join a majority. This is Majority 54. Ravi. Well, on location here, Midas Touch, Majority 54 legal correspondent in New York. <laughs> uh, yet another important ruling. Uh, it's hard to keep track, but this one is a big one. A New York judge ruled yesterday that Donald J. Trump persistently committed fraud by inflating the value of his assets. And they stripped Trump of control, he and his family, of control over some of his signature properties. This is Judge Arthur Engeron. Uh, and it's a huge victory for Tish James, our attorney general here in New York. Um, and essentially what they're saying was Trump inflated the value of his properties by as much as $2.2 billion and is seeking penalty of $250 million seems like a lot in a trial to begin as early as Monday. It seems like you're, you're the, the civil legal expert here, Jason. What exactly happened here? So basically, the judge essentially ruled uh, on part of the sort of facts of the case. And now what happens from here? Uh, I haven't followed this closely, but it's one of two things. It is either the judge has ruled on, on uh, whether he on liability, whether or not he's liable for it, and they're going to move on to damages, or the judge has ruled on a portion of whether he is liable, guilt, guilty um, uh, of this, and then they're going to have to, you know, uh, litigate the rest. But I would just like to say that I think it is the very definition of being hoisted on your own petard to end up getting in trouble for inflating the value of stuff you own. Like that's. The whole Trump brand is like right. pretending he has more stuff than he does, pretending he's done more stuff than he's done, pretending he's more tan than he is, pretending he has more hair than he has. And like, it turns out when you do that with things like banks uh, and business deals, that's actually not legal. That's actually fraud. Okay, right. so uh, uh, Salty just told us that it's a summary judgment ruling. So yeah. That basically what I described summary judgment, which is really, again, very difficult to get, uh, meaning it, a summary judgment is basically saying there's really no there's no uh, real facts to dispute here that, that this is so clear that the judge is not even going to send this part to a jury. And uh, yeah. And, and you mentioned that, you know, Trump is inflating his assets, right? Uh, he's doing both inflating his assets when it suits his purpose purposes. So like if he's going mm -hmm. to a bank for a loan, um, but then when it comes time for taxes, he's deflating his assets. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. that's relevant mm -hmm. given his response. Uh, he took to Truth Social and let's put this one up on the screen. Um, Trump is essentially taking issue with the net, the, the uh, value of his property at Mar-a-Lago saying that it's worth a lot more uh, than what this judge claimed it was. I think this judge or, you know, Palm Beach, uh, you know, um, uh, 
you know, the, uh, what do you call them? Appraisers, Mar- uh, yeah. appraised it at $18 million. So like the local jurisdiction and he's taking issue with that. Uh, but the funny thing here is he, uh, he himself has apparently not valued it at the billion dollars or something he says it is when he wants to pay taxes, right? If he thinks it's worth a billion dollars, he should pay, <laughs> he should pay a million, he should pay taxes off of the billion dollar <laughs> worth that he thinks is property. Yeah. Um, shocking. Shocking yeah. that, that, that Donald Trump pretends to be poor when it's time to pay, pay taxes and pretends to be super rich when it's time to do things with other people's money. Um, now, a $250 million fine here, like, that is, what, what is it? That's like... Well, and uh, the, the loss of control over key business assets. Right. It's like one eighth of his pretend uh, net worth. Yeah. So who knows what percentage it is of his actual net worth? It, I think it's a lot of money. Yeah. Worth also mentioning that this is not the kind of thing you can get pardoned for. So this is a civil judgment in New York. Like as it says, pardon proof mm-hmm. as they come. But you know, obviously, the U.S. Supreme Court or whatever could weigh in. I'd be hard to imagine. I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything past them, but it'd be hard to imagine what their role here in this dispute right. would be. Uh, and um, somebody uh, took to Twitter, uh, we could put this up to talk about another connection that was found in this ruling. Um, this, uh, you know, I, I read that in this ruling, the judge said, um, he, meaning Trump, seems to imply that the numbers cannot be inflated because he could find a, quote, buyer from Saudi Arabia to pay the price oh, he God. suggests. Um, interesting that we're going through this whole shenanigans around Hunter Biden where the worst thing they can f- they w- that could even be conceivably found in all of this investigation which by the way hasn't been proven yet um is that he has been peddling influence uh mm-hmm. with foreign governments and I would be shocked if they found that right like there's a lot of smoke there sure trump is explicitly stating that forget his kids Right, he's explicitly saying he can go to Saudi Arabia and get them to pay whatever price he suggests. This comes at a time when Jared Kushner is raising gazillions of dollars from Saudi Arabia for Lord knows what. Right, like it's happening in plain sight. Like the worst thing that could ever be said about Hunter Biden is true of not just Jared Kushner but Trump himself. Yeah, Uh, the best case scenario here, like if you're Trump's lawyers. I guess you have to pretend you have to act like he wasn't saying because they owe me or because of like future things I would do for them as president or because of influence I've used. So you have to go to the like, no, really, I, I had a girlfriend at summer camp. She's from Canada. You don't know her strategy, which is like he doesn't mean really because of that. It's just he's just saying Saudi Arabia would probably do it. I, he knows right. people in Saudi Arabia. It's um. It's it's the biggest penalty by far against him, civil or criminal, so far, because he hasn't been convicted of any of the criminal stuff yet. Yeah, it's the sort of death by a thousand cuts approach that's that's the best hope, I think, like we have of slowing this Trump thing down. And, um, you know, not that this is about the politics of it, but uh, this is a guy who has been brazenly breaking law for so long and justice is finally catching up with him. And we're in this race against time. Uh, on some of this stuff, because he, mm-hmm. you know, is polling, you know, people were hyperventilating this week because he's polling pretty decently for somebody who's under the threat of such legal action. And so, 
this is obviously everything is converging over the next six months. And honestly, I have no idea where it's going to take us. But um, Norm Eisen, who was the White House ethics advisor in the Obama administration, was asked about one of the Trump defenses, which is, you may hear this audience from people in your life say, this is a victimless crime. Who is harmed by this? Uh, and this is what Norm Eisen had to say. And then on this argument that it didn't hurt uh, the lenders or the insurance companies, that's not the way the law works. You, you know this well. You were a prosecutor here in D.C. If I shoot at somebody and I happen to miss, my fraud doesn't work, you still get prosecuted even though you miss. It's dangerous to lie, and the judge makes that point. New York law doesn't care about the loss or the gain in the end. What they care about is... People who do business in New York have to be truthful. They can't have a persistent pattern of major frauds. And that is what the judge found today in ruling for uh, DA, uh, for the AG in New York. Real quick, May. There so uh, two things about that. One, Norm makes a very good argument there uh, that we can use, right? Which is that saying that this is a victimless crime is like saying attempted murder is a victimless crime. Uh, two, hearing Norm's voice like that takes me back. Norm was very involved in Afghan Rescue Project and that kind of thing. And so I had a lot, just as a side, I had a lot of late night Zoom sessions where, with Norm. And, uh, well, anyways, shout out to Norm. He was also, yeah. when Shomik and I were running uh, fundraising for Obama in the Mid-Atlantic, Norm was one of our donors. So oh, shout out to he's Norm. A, he's a fun guy to work with. Well, okay, let's, let's talk about the current president. Uh, Biden went down. Uh, and hit the picket lines. This is the first president ever, right? Uh, to mm -hmm. I believe they, say, they said in the modern era, which I think means maybe somebody did it, but we don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. So let's go to this clip of Biden out there in the picket lines. about that one that is biden speaking into a bullhorn a megaphone uh extemporaneously and I, honestly like like i'm not like a i'm not a joe biden apologist or any of that stuff or whatever you would call it i'm not like it's not my job to speak for the administration that doesn't seem like a dude who's in decline like he just got up extemporaneously and gave a pretty good talk with no notes uh and people seem to really like it and he hit his cues and he hit it you know and he hit the right notes so that's one thing uh two it is a huge deal for a president to uh, go to a picket line. Um, huge. Like, to do that, you take the presidency with you and you take the power and the leverage and the influence the presidency has and you are lending it to the cause of those picketing. Like, a picket is essentially a protest. Like, he went to a protest. That is a big, big deal. And 
I'm just trying to think about like if you reversed it, you know, the the places where Trump took the presidency to that really made us anxious. I can imagine that the corporate management world, particularly in the auto industry, is very alarmed by this development. Um, and uh, and so it's a big, big deal. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't the only person to hit the picket lines. Uh, oh, yes. Jason, you predicted last week by name, you said, Josh Holly, I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up at the picket lines. And what happened, Jason? Yeah, and he did. Um, oh, okay. Let's get into this. So, so here, the tweet by Holly, it's a picture of him, you know, in his, you know, usual uh, working man cosplay. Outfit. Yeah, his L.O. Bean thing where he shows up and his tweet says, privileged to visit the picket line in Winsville today. These workers deserve better pay, better benefits, and a, all caps, guarantee their jobs will stay in America. All right. <laughs> the easiest thing is to just let's look back at one Josh Hawley tweet about labor. Uh, let's put this up. Uh, oh, well, that, that one's mine. Let's skip that one for a second. We go to the other one. Ah, this, we'll get to mine. Uh, this is this is a tweet from the past from Josh Hawley. Right to work override fails in the Missouri House. Time for an end to union-backed candidates in the GOP. Hashtag change is coming. Hashtag right to work. Okay, quick primer for anybody who doesn't know what right to work is. The shortest version is it is a union-busting strategy to make it to make it so that unions have to fight so hard to survive that they can't actually organize and and grow. The best known right to work state is China. Like that that's that's what right to work is. It completely disempowers uh, working people and makes it much harder for them to have unions. Now, that's what Josh Hawley's about. Josh Hawley and the way that I knew he was going to do this is Josh Hawley has been very devious and smart about doing things like like pretending he was in favor of a $15 minimum wage, going out and trying to be uh, ostensibly against things like high prices on insulin. But he always finds ways to, one, engage in this when there's no way it's going to happen so that he doesn't actually have to ever cast a vote that will hurt a single one of his corporate masters ever. So it's always all talk. And I guarantee you, he says to them, look, you and I have the same values. We have the same agenda. Um, and and for, for us to advance that agenda, I've got to make sure that I am rebuilding this, this GOP coalition in the long term. And in order to do that, we've got to take some positions like this and we've got to demonstrate that our values are the values of working people. Because Josh Hawley's whole strategy is... I'm already digging into this crowd by talking about wokeism, by talking about trans athletes, that sort of thing. And in order to finish that theft of, of, of working into the Democratic base, I've got to look like I'm with them on economic issues. So I'll never actually cast a vote against you or do anything that will actually hurt you, but I am going to virtue signal over and over again. And that's what he's done. So this is a guy who has voted over and over again, in fact, has zero votes that in any way advance a labor or a pro-worker agenda. But I knew that based on his virtue signaling, he was going to do that. And the way I knew is that he was, his take on all this, and he started it, and then Ted Cruz and people like that jumped on, was to try and say that the reason that UAW had to strike was because of the electric vehicle requirements and standards that were being put in place by the Biden administration. Now, UAW does have some disagreements with the Biden administration over this sort of thing, but it's, it's like 
the Biden administration recognizes their right to exist, okay? And they're like, while you are, you know, in favor of us existing and you take lots of actions to make us stronger as workers and to actually have us make more money to provide for our families, we have some disagreements we'd like to talk about, some, some exceptions to some of your policies. And Biden's like, okay, let's talk about them. Holly is out here with the other Republicans being like, you shouldn't exist. You should be in the poorhouse. And then he shows up and he's going to virtue signal and act like he's for them. He's not. And it's gross, but it's also scary because this kind of stuff works. I'm you know, and, and Trump you, seems you, to be following uh, in Holly's footsteps. Uh, is it true that he went to a non-union plant in Macomb County, Michigan? Yeah. That's what I'm seeing on the Internet. Where he's and going I guess. Today? Yes. Uh, so this is my point, right? It's all a facade. So he goes to a non-union plant when the workers aren't there, okay? Um, like they're off the clock, they're not there to have pictures taken to make it look like he's supporting auto workers, right? Well, I guess he is sort of, he's at the place where some people work on automobiles, but he is not supporting auto workers. And it appears he's been called out on that a fair amount actually by, uh, by local uh, outlets, which is a good thing. Well, okay, we'll, we'll continue to monitor this. I mean, I'm glad Biden did this. I know there's a lot going on with the government shutdown and everything else, and I'm glad he, he found the time to go down there. Yeah. You know. I, I, I got to say what this gives me like flashbacks to, all right, which is like I, I can remember campaigning in Missouri for Secretary of State and for the Senate and being in like rural parts of Missouri or even just like exurban or suburban parts of Missouri and uh, like I can remember specifically standing outside of Hardee's and meeting voters once and it was union guys and they, they were uh, like in between shifts and I'm talking to them and a bunch of them are like, yeah, you know, I vote Democratic. And then a few of them were saying, well, no, I don't support raising the minimum wage because that's going to raise our prices. And I could hear Rush Limbaugh on the radio in their truck. Right. And and that's that's the kind of it's it's scary what they're doing. Like, they are they they make a very compelling argument over and over not compelling because it's a good argument compelling because it's repeated over and over again that what the democrats are telling you is good for you and your family is actually just them being condescending toward you and what's best for your family is for stuff to be cheap it's not for you to have more money to buy stuff it's for stuff to be cheap and Josh Hawley is a very smart bad guy and he we got to watch this stuff that they're mm. doing here Okay, well, if you're if you're watching on YouTube, Holly is up for re-election in 2024. If you want Jason to run against him, hit that like button. Oh, I know he's oh not going to well, do The like button is good. But hit that like button. <laughs> that's funny. If you get enough likes, he'll probably still not run, but that's as shameless as I can get. But I'd speaking appreciate of, it. Speaking of shameless, Jason, Menendez, look, I, I live in New York City. I, I grew up in Staten Island right over the border from New Jersey. I've long been telling anybody who wanted to listen, and I can't believe that this guy is in the Senate. That was before all of this. Um, Menendez, if people want a good primer on it, The Daily had a good episode about it this morning. Essentially, this guy not only is alleged to be taking bribes, uh, but he was alleged to be taking bribes coming from a foreign government, Egypt, um, in exchange for you know increased military aid. Uh, and he was found with um, gold bars and cash stashed in a safety deposit box. Old school corruption. I couldn't, I said, honestly, what I was thinking this morning, I was like, wow, like, you know, you and I like to write a lot of stuff. It was one of those situations mm -hmm. where I was like, man, if I wrote this, it would not seem believable. 
and this is this is not the first time he's been alleged to be corrupted. You know, this happened before. I thought Democrats should have been stronger before on this. He shouldn't even have been in the Senate. I think, um, you know, he he ducked those charges on a hung jury. It's not exactly what you want out of your U.S. Senate senator. Uh, I think he's past time for this guy to resign. Uh, Cory Booker, his you know fellow senator from New Jersey, has called him to resign. Andy Kim. Uh, who is you know one of our original arena candidates and a guy I've known for a long time announced for the seat. Uh, let's go to this clip of Andy Kim. He is the uh, con- congressman from New Jersey's third congressional district. You know, this is one of those moments where you have to decide what you're going to do. And we see what Senator Menendez is going to do. He said, "I'm not going anywhere." Yeah. And I feel this this conviction right now. I feel compelled to stand up. And and push that out there. So look, I hope other people feel the same way. And if they do, uh, you know, I hope they go to andykim.com, learn more, and try to support this effort to be able to hold him accountable. So, Jason, what do you think? Uh, let me tell a quick story. You so must know Menendez, I'd imagine. I don't, and that's what the story's about. Oh. Um, the, and it's about why. So the last time that uh, Menendez was under indictment was 2016, when I was running for the United States Senate, and. It is a big, uh, first as a sidebar, it is a very big deal for senators to call on a member of their own caucus to resign for the simple reason that like, I think it's Wednesdays. I don't know if it's still Wednesdays. They have a Senate caucus lunch, like where it's just, it's literally only the senators in the room. And so it's whatever, what do we have, 50 um, or 49 or whatever who actually caucus with, with the Democrat? I can't remember. Uh, it's 50, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so of them, um, it's just them and they, they eat a nice lunch, but there's nobody else in there. Okay. And, and so they see him once a week at lunch at a minimum, right? If, and let alone if they're on committees with him, he's been there a long time. And so it's a big deal when they call on, on a member of that lunch group, uh, to resign. Cause it's not like he doesn't go to the lunch. In fact, that's what my story is about. In 2016, when I was running for the Senate, uh, after it, after I recorded my like opening ad, my like four minute announcement video, um, I was very very lucky. Harry Reid really liked me, and uh, and he was he did something they don't do for many Senate candidates. And remember, at this time, it was like actually 2015, and people were like, "Really, this guy in Missouri? You think we can win Missouri?" And so Harry Reid was like, "They need to meet him." So he invited me to come to the Senate caucus lunch, and he and he gave me the floor and, and I got up and I got to talk and then I went around and I got to meet everybody while they were eating and everything. And Claire McCaskill like sort of escorted me around the room. I was told before I went into that room, uh, you know, like Harry Reid and others were like, okay, you're going to go in here. Do not speak to Senator Menendez. <laughs> <laughs> they were Just like, because he's cranky. To- like, what? What no, was? No, because because they were like, it's toxic. Like, oh, politically. I see. Like everybody under at that point, everybody thought he's not going to be here long. You don't want to form a relationship. You don't want to have met him. He's going to be radioactive, and. And the whole thing was, you know, senators have um, leadership packs, right? So, so every senator that I got on board with my with my chances to win, that was worth, I think at the time, $10,000, right? So I'm going around the room and it's where I first met Al Franken, who's now a very good friend. And like every senator, uh, I'm going around the room and I'm trying to, in 30 seconds, get their cell phone number, impress them, which I was successful with pretty much all of them, I think. Um, but the the trick to it was, is that Menendez was seated like right in the center and he was like right <laughs> next to some other people I had to get to. So I had to like 
work my way around the room and not make it weird that I he was literally the only one I didn't talk to. But what was funny about it was, is he kind of knew the score. Like he didn't try to come up and talk to me. He was sort of like, you know, I get it. I'm busy. I'm trying to survive this indictment. So my point is, it is a big deal for them to call on him to resign. But this is not their first time with this drill. Yeah. And, and so I think this time it's like, let's not deal with this. Yeah. And, you know, a couple others, you know, there's a lot of Democrats have now uh, come on board. Fetterman has been pretty forceful. Sherrod Brown, Peter Welch, Tammy Baldwin, John Tester, Bob Casey, Jackie Rosen, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bennett, Mark Kelly, Martin Heinrich. Um, Schumer has not, uh, you know, taken, you know, the, what I think is the right stand here, no, nor has the Biden White House. And my hope and expectation is that they come around by the end of the week. I think this is this is about morality and politics. And I think both cut in the same direction. This guy, yes, is entitled to the presumption of innocence and a trial and all that. Not looking great for him, but he's entitled to all that kind of stuff. But that is different than uh, whether he's entitled to a Senate seat. And I do not think yeah. he's entitled to this seat. And it's the second time that we've been through this, that yeah. the people in New Jersey have been put through this, that he's had to step down from positions where he, you know, so, but okay, here's what I want listeners to take away from this, which is that this is, if you are trying to make your case about corruption in, in politics, and it comes up a lot, right? And the way it usually comes up is a lot of people, particularly persuadable voters, will say, ah, both sides, both sides are very yes. corrupt. I mean, and so it, that's why it's so hard to make the Trump stuff stick because they just think everybody's corrupt. I think it is important to be like, look, here's the level of fraud and corruption that Trump is, is accused of. Here, on one hand, are the number of prominent Republicans who have called on the nominee for president of their party to step aside. Like right? it's people who either have been pushed aside completely or don't have any power at all to begin with, right? Or are not even Republicans anymore. Now, here's one senator from the Democratic Party who's been accused of, frankly, by comparison, like volume-wise, a lot less than, than the guy who's the front-runner for president on the Republican side. And pretty much every Democratic senator and a whole lot, and any House member who gets asked the question is like, this guy should go. And I think that's a pretty powerful argument, that there, there is not uh, a similar standard in both parties when it comes to corruption. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge bummer, but there's a great bench in New Jersey uh, not just Andy Kim, but there are a ton of really talented candidates there. Tammy Murphy, yeah. all sorts of folks. For sure. So uh, let's hope he does the right thing. If not, they need to force him to do the right thing. Well, when we come back, we'll take stock of the looming government shutdown. Uh, we have some good news from the Supreme Court on redistricting. Um, and then we have some pop culture, Travis Kelty, Kelsey, Taylor Swift, we got to weigh in on that. And then uh, Fox owned itself when it went to Seattle to talk about crime. All of that and more when we come back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, I mean, and honestly, it's like once every couple of weeks where I wake up in the middle of the night and I have racing thoughts. Maybe it's like something that's bothering me. It could be just something general that I have anxiety about. There's been times in the past where like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, what happens after you die? Like, I mean, who knows? Uh, there's all sorts of different things that can cause racing thoughts that can make it hard for you to go to sleep. They can make it hard for you uh, to get back to sleep. They can make it hard for you to stay asleep. They can make it hard for you to concentrate during the day. So if 
you know, a racing mind is something that you deal with, you might benefit from therapy. Um, I've benefited from therapy in the past. This is something that uh, is pretty well known. I've literally written a book about it, talked about it on this show. Uh, just this week, I booked an appointment with my therapist. Um, but, you know, it, for some folks, uh, what's going to make the most sense is something like BetterHelp, whether maybe you live in an area where you don't have uh, easy access to a therapist, maybe uh, it's something you want to try for the first time. Um, well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash M54 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Uh, Diana and I have uh, been sleeping on Miracle Made sheets for about a week now, and we are a couple, there are many of them out there, who have uh, a strong distinction between our preferences when it comes to temperature. And so this has been kind of a game changer because I like it to be colder in the room. And the only time that she's able to accommodate that is when she wears like socks and long pants and all that. I mean, she has to bundle up. So it has been much better. We're much closer to meeting in the middle on a temperature after over 20 years uh, because of Miracle Made sheets. The sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. I mean... I haven't had, I, I don't think there's a lot of gross odors in the bed, but perhaps if she were here, she would rebut that claim. Either way, don't have to worry about it because of Miracle Made Sheets. Go to trymiracle.com slash majority to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo majority at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash majority and use the code majority to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash majority to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, okay, government shutdown. McConnell. Uh, has come together with Schumer to try to have, you know, to try to push through a temporary end to the shutdown. And he didn't mince words when he took to the floor of the Senate. Let's go to this clip. Over the years, I've been pretty clear in my view that government shutdowns are bad news, whichever way you look at them. They don't work as political bargaining chips. They create unnecessary hardships for millions of Americans. Uh, for example, the nearly 46,000 service members and 22,000 civilian workers in my home state of Kentucky who earn federal government paychecks. And they hardly ever produce meaningful policy outcomes at the end of the day. A government shutdown would be an unnecessary disruption of the important work of the Senate's agenda. 
So I would urge each of my colleagues to work this week to avoid one. Yeah, just one edit for McConnell. I think his use of they, the pronoun, was a little confusing because it sounded like he was saying his, the troops in his district don't create any meaningful policy outcomes. So it took my brain a second to catch up. But he's obviously right. And it's fascinating to see the Republican Party at war with itself continue. We talked about it last week. It's also true in the House where you have a lot of exasperated House members. But McCarthy said today, quote, I don't see support in the House for the Senate stopgap funding bill. He signaled that he won't take it up, pass it as is. So he's pretty explicitly rejecting their proposal. Unclear what Democrats can or, or even should be doing at this point. It's, it's rather frustrating to watch the Republicans even, you know, even ignoring their own members. If they took a majority vote in either chamber, we'd be done with this. Yeah, they've basically taken hostages again. Uh, but in this case, one of the hostages is Kevin McCarthy. It, <laughs> it, it's just, you know, I suppose, you know, McConnell's saying they don't, they don't work as political bargaining chips, which I think what he really means is they don't work politically. Now, the thinking... When you look from the outside, it seems like what the Republicans must be thinking is, well, we can hang this on the Biden administration. But that's, n- but that's wrong. That's, that's imagining that the Republicans are operating with a central purpose of trying to defeat the opposition party in a presidential election. There are Republicans in Washington who want to do that. And all of those Republicans who are pushing the shutdown, they want to do that. But that's not where the shutdown is coming from. The shutdown is, there's just a bunch of Republicans who want their gang to be in charge of the Republicans in the House. So for them, the opposition is McCarthy and these folks. Like, yeah, they have ideological differences, but they don't have any realistic expectation that any of those ideological differences are going to be satisfied, that any of their demands are going to be satisfied by doing this. They're just working against McCarthy and they're working against the people in charge because they want to be more in charge. It is a uh, internecine fight of Republican House members, uh, and it's going to screw everybody else over. And everybody has to, I think this should be talked about over and over again. I think that we should talk about it with the people in our lives. The fact that you can't actually, as, as a government, you can't really fail a lot worse than shutting down, than like failing to continue to be a government. Like the fact that government shutdown is even a thing is wild, right? Like, are there other countries where this happens? I'm not aware of this happening in other countries where they're just like, oh, we we can't agree on how to pay the bill. We'll just stop governmenting. Like, that's nuts, isn't it? When you really think yeah, about I mean, it. In other countries, if it happens, it's because the government collapsed or was- There's like a coup. As, yeah, <laughs> which I guess is maybe- you know what's going on yeah. here. We could we could classify this as a coup. Steve Ratner had an interesting tweet where he basically looked back at at all previous government shutdowns, and they all had one thing in common, which is Republicans in control of the House. Uh, so this is something we got to keep reminding voters of as we you know head towards what seems to be the inevitable here, and it's going to be a lot of pain. Uh, Biden has been very clear on this. Uh, he gave an address uh, in the Oval Office about this. Uh, let's go to this clip. If the government shuts down, that means members of our U.S. military are going to continue to be on duty but not get paid. And frankly, that's adding insult to injury since Republicans in the United States Senate have failed to stand up to one of their own senators who for months has stood in the way of military promotions. Funding the government is one of the most basic 
responsibility to the Congress. It's time for these Republicans in the House to start doing their job, doing the job America elected them to do. So let's get it done. We have time. Let's get it done. I talked to somebody yesterday who was asking me that this person uh, is disabled. They had a, um, a catastrophic uh, car accident a few years ago. They have a broken neck, and it's very difficult for them to do things. And they are on disability. And, and they were talking to me about all the services and, and just the money that comes from the government that won't be there during the shutdown. And this person was pleading with me to explain to them why this was happening. And it was, I was like, I'm really sorry to explain to you that this is happening because of inter-Republican politics, which is, talk about a dissatisfactory answer for a person who is directly affected by this. It should be just so embarrassing for all of these people, but sadly, it's not. Yeah. I mean, well, well, obviously, there's it's not really much to do here. Just to keep an eye on it, I think like the politics of this, um, if it does happen, will be something we'll have to be very attuned to. Like, I, it's really important that Democrats, you know, make it extremely clear who the culprits here are, because you know, there's a version of this where Republicans, you know, like I know that this is like not exactly like you said, Democrat versus Republican politics. But there is a world where they sabotage the economy and try to lay the blame yeah. at Biden. And that's just a world, like a horrific world that we'll have to just keep an eye on. Let's let's put that chart back up for a second about the Republicans being, uh, you know, in control of the House and all of, the, of these shutdowns. So what you see here, it, there's an argument to be made just about government generally. When you're just having an argument about government, it doesn't have to be about this shutdown with somebody. It is important to point out that the Republicans have been in charge of the House and in some cases also the Senate in every single government shutdown. But what's crazy is if you look at, at this chart, you see that twice in 2018, when there were Republicans in charge of the House, the Senate and the White House, that the government was shut down twice, which means that the reason government shutdowns happen and are clearly led by Republicans is because Republicans just don't think what government does is that important. So like whatever, and that, that's really the difference, right? That's the difference between the parties. You and I talk about it all the time. The Democratic Party is, whether we like it or not, the party of government, which is why we have to make the case for government. We have to make the case that government does important things and is a positive force more often than not in the lives of the average American. There's never been a time when the government shut down when Democrats were in charge of everything. And to my knowledge, there's never been a time where the government shut down initiated by Democrats. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's always initiated by Republicans. But the fact that it shut down twice while Trump was president and everybody in power was a Republican is crazy. Well, it, it is an opportunity for Democrats to, in a very tangible way, remind people why government matters to them. Right. Because I don't think people yeah. think of the military the same way they think of the IRS or whatever. But once they start seeing their neighbors not getting their paychecks or essential services not being delivered or disaster response being imperiled, then I think that's one of the, you know, nobody's rooting for that. But that is one of the best advertisements for the role of government in people's lives. Yeah. Uh, Veterans not getting their prescriptions from the VA. I mean, like real stuff. Crazy. That's crazy. Okay, uh, let's quickly talk about the Supreme Court rejected a bid from Alabama to maintain its white majorities in six of its seven congressional districts. And this leaves intact a lower court ruling that the Voting Rights Act required the state to provide black Alabamians an opportunity to elect their preferred candidates in two 
U.S. House seats. Um, and so it seems like this is now going to a like special court appointed master who is going to um, you know make some like proposals on a few maps, and Alabama is going to have to pick from amongst those choices. So some good news. Yeah, it also just kind of says everything in the world that the Republicans in Alabama look at Alabama's population and go, "Yep, we ought to have uh, one." white member of Congress or, or one black member of Congress and no more. And frankly, they probably would make it all of them white yeah. if they could. Um, like anybody who spent any time in Alabama knows that that's just a ridiculous uh, idea. I mean, Alabama is along with Texas, one of the places that truly uh, came very close to perfecting voter suppression. Like it's, I always want to remind people that Alabama was the place that said, you have to have a DMV issued ID in order to vote. And the very next thing they did was close down the DMVs in the black parts of Alabama. Like voter suppression is about creating barriers and then creating barriers to those barriers. And, and that's what they're trying to do here. And so it is nice to have a little bit of good news and to say, oh, there actually might be a line. Now, it's important to remember that this wouldn't happen if you didn't have lower courts that ruled this way. This is just the Supreme, this is not a Supreme Court ruling. This is the Supreme Court deciding not to overrule, not to overturn, right? That's a, that's a big deal. It's why it's so important to have a judiciary made up of people who aren't awful. Mm. Okay, let's move on to more substantive matters here. Uh, this weekend, your favorite team, the Kansas City Chiefs, mm -hmm. were in the news. Jason, what's going on here? Give me the gossip. Kansas City is the center of the known universe. Uh, it continues to be the case, um, whether you go with the fact that like we have Patrick Mahomes or just that we have the greatest barbecue in the world or that Ted Lasso is from here, both real uh, and fictionalized version. All of these things make Kansas City the center of the universe. But now, in the midst of this era's era, uh, which I did not go to a Taylor Swift show, but my understanding from everybody I've talked to, including people I like a lot and share a lot of music taste with, is that uh, it's like one of the greatest days of their life. And this is like, we're talking tens of thousands of people at a time are saying this. Um, you know, arguably one of the biggest stars, in, not even arguably, one of the biggest stars on the planet. And our guy, Travis Kelsey, our uh, personality-filled tight end, uh, you know, is dating her. As, as she's his his girlfriend, I guess. And it's so funny to watch what is basically just a, a basic high school feeling play out, which is the feeling of scoring a touchdown when your girl's at the game, you know, just to watch that play out at this level. And Kansas Cityans are, it, to, the best way for me to describe the sort of vibe of, of, and now I'm getting to why this is political in a moment. Right now, I'm just talking about the Kansas City part. Um, why this is uh, a special thing is because what it is to be from Kansas City is to be from this wonderful, often undiscovered place that has its problems, but uh, you know this sort of wonderful, largely undiscovered place, and to also have the slightest inferiority complex about the fact that we're in the middle of the country, people don't talk about us a lot, right? And and the best way for me to illustrate this for you is, I am like, if if there's a scale of famous. I'm at the very bottom of the scale, right? Perhaps I was slightly higher on the bottom of the scale when I was at the zenith of my political career, but now like I'm at the bottom of that scale. And I have it on a regular basis where someone will recognize me in public and say, oh wow, I didn't know you still live here. <laughs> and that's because 
they see me on TV occasionally, so they just naturally assume I must have moved away, right? I must not live here anymore. That's the best way I can explain that that little tinge of like, oh, well, people don't. So the fact that Mahomes and Kelsey live here, and then on top of that, that Taylor Swift came to Arrowhead to watch a game just like the rest of us do, sat next to Travis Kelsey's mom, who is basically uh, a household face and name at this point um, in, in Kansas City and a bit around the world, and was like cheering for the team the way we're cheering for the team, and then drove around town with Travis Kelsey. Like people are very excited about it. People like like people like me who don't pay a lot of attention to pop culture are like really into this couple now. Well, not everybody's excited, Jason. Well, you're a Bills fan. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, I'm and, excited. And, and it's not to do yes, let's, you're trying to give but, me a segue into the reason we're talking about this. No, no, I, I have to be clear. Just so anybody's listening, I have no problem with this. I don't really lose sleep over you guys. Just in case you're wondering right now, we've got our own problems in our division this weekend. It's but a very also, scary like, team. what kind of a person doesn't like Taylor Swift? I know they're out there. But like the music, like if you are well, saying, well, let's talk about what. Yeah, kind of go ahead. You like, you take it from here. Yeah, I'm talking yeah, too much. You keep, in Kansas you City. keep giving go. me these segue. I keep bringing it back. Yeah, uh, go. So the right wing, to be clear, has problems with this. And Travis Kelsey, I think, up until this weekend, is like, you know, he's he's a big, burly white dude who I think, like, by and large, had like approval to anybody who paid attention to him. He pretty much had universal approval rating, even from those of us who don't root for the Chiefs or actively root against them. Uh, mm-hmm. But the timing here was interesting because as this game is going on, Kelsey is in a lot of commercials. So he's in a Bud Light commercial, which Bud Light is the subject of right-wing boycotts. And he was in a Pfizer commercial over the COVID vaccines. So the right put that together with Taylor Swift, who they don't like because she has explicitly supported things like reproductive freedom and, and Democratic candidates like Phil Bredesen and, in Tennessee. And voter registration. She's been like registered to vote. And they're like, oh, you're one of the bad ones. Exactly. Uh, and so here are just a rundown of some of the right wing responses to this. Clay Travis, quote, Travis Kelsey is doing Bud Light and COVID shot commercials. He needs to fire all his marketing agents or he needs to just go ahead and cut his dick off, become a trick and endorse Joe Biden. Um, the uh, Charlie Kirk. I mean, like, I don't know who Clay Travis is, but what a jerk, man. What yeah, a terrible guy. I mean, and we'll, we'll get to some of the data here. I think uh, I also can promise you I'm not going to know who he is. So, yeah, well, <laughs> also, it's like important to know that he's had 400% increase in his jersey sales and all kinds of, I think, like hundreds of thousands of new followers on social media. So, I think his marketing people are doing just fine. Um, Charlie mm-hmm. Kirk said the following quote, What will break Kelsey's heart first, the COVID shot or Taylor Swift? Because it's a myocarditis joke. Um, Tommy Loren. Uh, she uh, took to, to the YouTube scapes. Let's look at what she had to say. And let me just say this. Her lefty, liberal, brain-dead political opinions aside, I am a fan of Taylor Swift, and I have been since way before she went full liberal. She's also single-handedly done more for the U.S. economy than any Democrat president maybe ever. And when I heard the rumors of her and Travis Kelsey, at first I thought, there is no way this is going to last. I mean, he's an athlete. He's big. He's strong. And unlike her other boyfriends, looks like he can withstand a strong breeze without falling over or crying. So not necessarily her type, as you can see. But then I saw this ad and, well, it all came together for me. Travis, did you know you can get this season's COVID-19 shot when you get your flu shot? Oh, two things at once. Two things at once! Two things at once! I'll have the 
two things at once, please. Now back to two things at once. Two things at once. That's not two things at once. Mom. Travis, ask about getting this season's COVID-19 shot when getting your flu shot. Now, a couple of months back, we forgave Travis Kelsey for his Bud Light commercial, but pushing the jab, no, that's just a little too rich for my blood, no pun intended. So perhaps this T-Swift Travis Kelsey thing is a match made in heaven after all, and I wish them the best of luck, not with their relationship per se, but rather myocarditis. I think, like... I'm amazed that people are still upset about people getting the vaccine because like I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm not having arguments with my friends who didn't get the vaccine. I figure at this point, I'm not going to convince them. I, I've moved on. And the only people who have not moved on from COVID are people who've lost loved ones from COVID or people right. who refuse to get the vaccine. Uh, and yeah, well one of said. those two groups have really good reasons to care about COVID and to continue to be concerned about it. And the other are just narcissists who just think that whatever they fixate on needs to be whatever everybody else fixates on. If you didn't lose somebody to COVID, um, you're probably just saying, look, like, you know, as the public health guidance has changed, as we learn more about this, as we've, you know, built up immunity, as our, you know, our systems and vaccines have evolved, then we move on with our lives, just like, you know, we move on from any tragedy to the extent that you can. And even the people, a lot of people I know who've lost loved ones are like, look, like, I can't fixate on this anymore. Like, it's it's a terrible tragedy, but I have to move on with my life. The people who can't move on seem to be the people who did the least to help everybody else, right? Literally did the least they could. Um, yeah. And now they, they can't, they're, they're, it's not enough that they they refuse the vaccine themselves, which is totally their prerogative. But now they're casting aspersions on other people who got the vaccine or who believe in the vaccine. And it's it's just narcissism, really. Well, it's also, it's so angry. Like, yeah. you know, the reason that we call this occasional segment, it's political, even though it doesn't seem political, is because largely the right wing has taken politics and just no pun intended, injected it into our popular culture so that we can't get away from it. Like, look, I'm not real interested in um, speculating about like what Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey talk about, but I'm pretty sure it's not politics. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I bet they're like most normal people who they engage politically from time to time around elections. Uh, and, and that's it, right? Taylor Swift has a large platform. And she got to the point where she was like, I can't not say something. And she said a few things about Trump. She said a few things about the awful stuff Tennessee was doing. But I bet most of the time she's thinking about her job and about writing music and about performing music. And most of the time, Travis Kelsey is thinking about winning Super Bowls. And, and so in between, they talk about being performers or whatever the hell, or just what usual boyfriends and girlfriends talk about. The right wing's like eager eager to put them in a box of politics and now like it's fascinating to me that based on like three or four statements that taylor swift has made they've they're trying to cancel taylor swift which seems really hard to do by the way and now because she's dating him they're and the last thing i'll say is you know they also are so desperate we see this from josh holly's approach to the manhood book and everything to label anybody who is not built like Travis Kelsey or who doesn't just like drink so much beer that they weigh what Travis Kelsey weighs that 
it, they're a liberal. They're this right. beta liberal. And what I thought was really funny was, and I, I saw it somewhere on Twitter, that somebody pointed out that after the game, Travis Kelsey rented out an entire Kansas City restaurant for uh, he and Taylor Swift and a few of their teammates. And what their point was, it sounds like, they said, uh, so Travis Kelsey is the first man to ever understand that he's with Taylor Swift. Like, like basically, like, like it, all you're seeing is a guy being like, this seems like kind of special. Like maybe this person is somebody I should treat well. And the right wing is like, what a beta. <laughs> it's amazing to me. I think they also fundamentally misunderstand Taylor Swift. I think they're so emboldened by their Bud Light boycotts and, you know, beating up mm -hmm. on various pop culture figures who, you know, aren't able to withstand the sort of avalanche of criticism from the right. Taylor Swift is is unstoppable. Like there, there's no way they're going to be able there. This is a misfire. Like not only is she Teflon, but her her many, many fans are very motivated. So putting yourself in the middle of this fight, it's it's honestly one of the best things that could happen to progressives is the more they take her on, uh, the better it is for us because, you know, what do we have problems with? We have problems with young people. What do we have problems with? You know, we have problems with dudes, right? And those are the, mm -hmm. the dudes taking their kids to the Taylor Swift concert who you know, are starting to warm to Taylor Swift a little bit, right? Like taking their taking their girlfriends, their what? Take going with their girlfriends, their wives. Yeah. So yeah. keep going, MAGA. Whatever you oh, know. And and starting to warm to my ass. Like, I'm sorry. It. I, I. Everybody secretly has shake it off on their workout playlist. They. I mean, it's her stuff. It her stuff is like like I saw a study once that said that they they like ran an algorithm to figure out what makes for the perfect pop song and what popped out of it was shake it off like i mean she's she's touched a lot of lives and yeah you're you're right though like if they have any interest in trying to appeal to women like crapping on one of their favorite pop culture figures is probably not a good way to do it <laughs> Yeah. You know, and try and like wishing, wishing that she'd break up with her boyfriend. Like it's just mean, and it's so on brand for them. Well, it's also weird. Kelsey. One last point on this: Kelsey is is a very popular figure among the Pat McAfee and all this kind of world of like, mm -hmm. you know, dude sports commentary, and which I think is a lot of that sort of world. I think is either apolitical or might tilt slightly right because of the influence mm -hmm. of people like Bar Barstool Sports and Aaron And because it's mostly dudes. And it's mostly dudes. But it, not to say yeah. I know anything about Pat McAfee's politics. I have no idea, right? But Kelsey's very popular with him. You have people saying that they wish myocarditis on him is not a great move, I would say. Oh. You know, not a great yeah. move. Uh, uh, but anyway, political, even though it doesn't seem political. All right. Well, okay. One final video first, and, and we, we're, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to show you this video because I don't think you've seen this, Jason. Fox News went to Seattle to try to paint a picture of crime. And I just want to show you this video. It I didn't exactly go as they intended it to. Jesse sent Johnny to the progressive hellscape where residents mocked the idea that the city is spiraling out of control. I've never seen any crime in Seattle. I've never seen any of it. I've seen fun and laughter and laughter and fun. I don't believe that number. 
people. They're, you know, getting robbed out here, carjacked. I've never heard of anyone getting robbed. Crime is a social issue that could be solved by giving people their basic needs. It's not a thing that happens just on the street. People don't just come up and try to rob people on the street. Do you walk around every day? Like, someone's going to rob me every second? Seattle decriminalized drug use, and then they criminalized it again. Oh, my God. Who are you getting these facts from? You're from New York. Apparently, you're listening to the wrong people. I saw a lot of people shooting up on my way down here. Oh, did you? Okay. And they were bothering you? I was in a car, but, you know, people... Oh, oh no, people you're in a car. Oh, no, they were hurting you so bad. Oh, no. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and they that aired lady? this? I don't understand what their... I guess their point is liberals are so oblivious that they won't acknowledge... But, like, I don't think that made Fox look very good. I The, the woman on the street who just owned that guy, our producers who are talking to us in the chat, can we find that lady? I want to yeah. talk to her. She's just like, oh, no, you were in a car. Oh, for you. <laughs> like, what? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's what we'll leave everybody with. So one for us, Jason, I'm about to embark on an international trip. I'm going to Sri Lanka on Friday. I'm taking four flights to get to Sri Lanka, so hopefully I'll make it. And then I'm going to be in India for a couple of weeks, and then I'm going to be in Israel. And then hopefully I'll make my way back to, to these United States. Uh, so you gotta Amazing. you gotta keep things intact for me. You gotta take your AG one. Gotta take my <laughs> AG one. Uh, I'm hoping to right, make my- most of these episodes. I'll probably miss the one while I'm in Israel, just because of the demands of my schedule on that one. So we'll have to figure out who. That'll be me and the lady from that video. We yeah, yeah. So yeah, we should have her uh, on. Yeah. From that Fox, from that Fox <laughs> Honestly, clip. we should have the dude interviewing her because he inadvertently makes a really good case for progress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, my one for us uh, is that I finally got to meet Sapria, your your girlfriend. Yes, um, and uh, who's completely awesome. And uh, that's it. I mean, we were in, thank you to people who came out to the live show we did uh, in Austin. By the way, um, it was a great conversation with Ben McKenzie about crypto, uh, and it's on our audio feed, so people can go back and find it. Um, but the big the big uh, upside to all of that was I got to to keep you out. Uh, late, the two of you at late, which is a rare time when, you know, because we we weren't in Kansas City. I didn't have kids to put to bed, so I was. We were just hanging out, and she, I, we just had a great time. She came with, yeah, you both really are talkers, gifts for the kids. For and, I just sat, yeah, you just sat there to talk to each other, and I just was quiet the whole time watching the music. It was, it was really, it was really something to watch. I can't wait to get uh, her and Diana together. Um, so she is. Uh, she is just awesome, and I'm I'm a big fan. Um, so, and you know, I, I know she listens to this, so I I didn't, you know, I wanted to make sure to say so, uh, but I told her anyway that I'm a big fan. So, anyway, that was very cool. And now, um, I'll get everybody speculating about her and wanting to see her and have her on the show. That's probably what people will be tweeting at us. Yeah, so. maybe she'll be my um, sub. Um, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> like get get the the UK point of view. Uh, I mean, she knows politics. as much about our politics as Americans do, but maybe we should do that. Yeah, that would be. I wonder funny. if she'd do it. That would be fun. All right, remember to subscribe to Majority Fifty Four wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority Fifty Four and please leave a five star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.